The New Testament reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange has happened to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I must say what a joy it is to be with you all this Sunday. Um, Thank you, Pastor Will, for the kind invitation. Will is a friend and a mentor, and I've had the privilege of spending the last day with him and his family. I bring you greetings from the windy city of Chicago. Um, I'm in my final year of seminary at Trinity pursuing ordination in the PCA. Uh, Today I'd like to preach a word, a quick word from the book of 1 Peter on the topic of suffering as a Christian. I believe it's a timely passage, but before we look at this passage, will you pray with me once more? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to worship you this Sunday. God, I ask that you would inhabit our praises and that you would speak to us through your word. God, we're so thankful for the opportunity to study your word, to learn your word, that we might obey you as our response. I ask that you would encourage us this morning and point us forward. Help us to love our Lord Jesus Christ more this Sunday. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. This past summer in Westminster, Colorado, I had the privilege of attending RUF assessment for prospective RUF campus ministers. It was a great time, my first time to Colorado, though. On the morning of day one, each of us were called to share our testimony, our story of God's faithfulness in our lives. I shared about how God graciously pursued me and I became a follower of his in my senior year of high school. I shared about my sense of call to gospel ministry as well as how I became an intern at Grace North Shore, which is my current church back home. Many were interested in how I got to Grace and so I kept it real. It was, it was solely due to the fact that the senior pastor invited me to share a meal at my favorite restaurant. The grand, illustrious, luxurious Chipotle. (laughs) I am a Chipotle fan and, and convinced that it is one fascinating restaurant, I might add, simply for the fact that you get to pick and choose which items you would like to have a part of your meal as well as the ones you desire to be without how you get to decide which ingredients you'd like to partake of in addition to the ones you'd rather leave out. And I share this story because 
Many Christians, including myself, desire to live just like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. However, there is one aspect to the life of Jesus that if we could leave out, we would. One crucial part of following Jesus that we would not choose but avoid if we could, and that is suffering for righteousness. To imitate Jesus in the way that he suffered for doing God's will. To live into 2 Timothy chapter 3, which says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Many of us desire to imitate Jesus in every way except the way he suffered. Suffering is one of the sad results of living in this fallen world, whether it be sickness, the death of a loved one, job loss, heartache, anxiety, depression, and disappointment. Though we Christians battle a particular form of suffering, as our society increases in its hostility towards the Christian faith, suffering for righteousness becomes more of a reality. The high school or college student suffers mockery and social ostracism for their holding fast to Christian values. Parents and grandparents suffer from worry about what their children might face in a culture that does not esteem their love for God. Employees suffer the loss of status and respect, receiving shame for their adherence to the Christian faith. Church leaders suffer from the pressure of ministering in this painful world. I love Jesus, but why should I embrace suffering for my love for Jesus? Surely, the original recipients of, of Peter's letter wrestled with this question. Here, these, these first century believers are facing the intense pressure of being exiles in a non-Christian society. They're ostracized, despised, and persecuted for their allegiance to Jesus and are confused of what to make of it all. Thus, Peter writes to reassure them that while they may be rejected by the world, they've been elected by the Father. No, these Christians are chosen and loved by God. They've got a living hope, are headed on to glory, and are to stand fast in God's grace despite the suffering they face. But today, Peter gives us insight into Christian suffering. There is purpose in Christian suffering because of the one who suffered for us. Why should you and I embrace the suffering that may come as a result of our faith? Well, Peter tells us in this text, we should rejoice in suffering for Christ because it is a sign that we belong to Christ. In our passage today, Peter pushes us towards a new redemptive view of Christian suffering, and he begins by telling us suffering for Christ should not surprise us, but should remind us of our union with Christ. Watch the text. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter is writing to a community of Gentile believers who have converted to Christianity. Prior to their conversion, the, the Christians were perfectly at home in their society. They fit in and were appreciated in the surrounding area. They had no previous experience of being the cultural minority, but since they've committed their lives to the Lord Jesus, they've been persecuted in the society. 
They've received hostility from their non-Christian neighbors. Peter calls it a fiery trial. This is intense suffering. It's hot. The culture has turned up the heat on these believers. As a result, they're questioning, did something go wrong? Has God left us? Is something maybe wrong with us? Peter responds, no, beloved, you are God's dear ones, prized ones, valued ones. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. First, God is actually working this out for his good purposes. This trial is indeed to test you, verse 12 says. The word test does not refer to temptation, but an attempt to learn the nature or character of something. And by Christians going through the fiery trial of Christian suffering, it proves that the nature of our faith is genuine. Like gold that is refined by fire, God is using the suffering to refine our faith, to perfect our faith. As the Christian scientist Mildred Struven said, a clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the white heat of the furnace to become porcelain. Second, we are not to be surprised, startled, astonished, shocked when suffering comes upon us as though something unheard of was occurring, because when holiness and righteousness meet a sinful culture, it creates tension. When love for God meets love for the pleasures of this world, it creates hostility. When your commitment to purity meets impurity, there can be pushback. When you profess there is one God and one truth in a world that claims there are many gods and truths, it's offensive to the world. The cross is offensive. Saying Jesus is Lord rather than Caesar is Lord is contentious. When you've given your life to Christ and no longer participate in the sins and way of life that you did prior to your conversion, those you used to sin with are surprised. Peter told us in verses 3 and 4 of this chapter, for the time that is past suffices for doing what non-believers want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Do not be surprised when you suffer for being a Christian. Third, and most importantly, this is exactly what Jesus told us would happen. John 15, Jesus predicted, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Why shouldn't we be surprised when society is hostile towards the Christian faith? Peter says, the suffering you're receiving is not strange or foreign since it is right in line with what Jesus predicted. Nevertheless, Peter explains that while we should not be surprised by our suffering, we do have good reason to rejoice in our suffering. We ought to rejoice because of our participation with the one who suffered for us. Peter says that first we participate in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 13 says, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Friends, Peter explains that while suffering may feel strange, be encouraged 
because we are actually living in the way of our Lord Jesus. We share in what Jesus experienced. To share means to take part, to have fellowship, a special bond. Philippians 3, Paul says that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Our suffering for Christ is a sign that we've identified with Christ and been united with Christ. As Christians who suffer because of our identification with Christ, we, we enter into the experience of Christ's own sufferings. Peter says, it is worthy of rejoicing and our sufferings, because those are the sufferings Jesus went through. We, we suffer in the same way the Lord Jesus suffered. A Jesus who suffered rejection from the same people he came to save. A Jesus who tried to bring kids home who did not want to be brought home. A Jesus who was labeled a glutton and a drunkard for spending time with tax collectors and sinners. A Jesus who was outcasted for standing up for the poor, marginalized, and children. A Jesus who was opposed for saying, you can pay your taxes to Caesar, but give your life to God. A Jesus who was called a blasphemer for forgiving a crippled man of his sins and healing his body. A Jesus who was committed to the mission of God, pursuing the lost, extending compassion and mercy, though was still falsely accused of wrong, betrayed by his friend, mocked, beaten, and nailed, to a tree. My friends, when, when you suffer for being a Christian, you follow in the footsteps of Jesus. God has awarded you the privilege to share, to identify with the sufferings of Christ. And the most awful and unjust situations can be seen through a new lens when you remember how Jesus endured the exact same. As Joni Erickson puts it, God permits what he hates to achieve what he loves. And by God giving over his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, he achieved right relationship with you and I, reconciling us back to himself. He achieved eternal life for us. Peter says we ought to rejoice in our participation with the sufferings of Christ. Though we can also rejoice because of our participation in the glory of Christ. The second half of verse 13 reads that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter says that for those who now share in Christ's sufferings, we will also share in his glory when Christ returns. We can have a Christ-like perspective on suffering when we understand that our suffering will lead to exaltation. For the same Jesus who died and was buried got up from that grave, defeating that grave. Thus Christ's suffering is redemptive suffering. For the sufferings we're to embrace are the pains of a mother in childbirth, a mother who feels the pain of delivering her baby but knows the glory on the other side when she holds that baby far outweighs her present pain. And in an even greater way, the sufferings we experience for our faith are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We may hurt now, but we'll rejoice and be glad when Jesus returns, when we see his face and are embraced by him, held in his loving arms. Surely, the glory of Jesus when he returns will transcend any pain we experience here on this earth. 
for C.S. Lewis Penn. They say of temporal suffering that no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards to turn even that into glory. Peter calls us Christians to rejoice in suffering for Christ so that we may also rejoice in the glorious return of Christ. However, Peter explains, there are two types of Christians in the church who suffer for Christ. Therefore, he urges us to be those who suffer for righteousness and not wickedness. Verses 14 through 16, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Friends, sadly, suffering is a reality for all humans. Because of our fallen world, all humans have suffered or will suffer in some way. As much as we try to avoid it, no person is exempt from the trials and tribulations of life. Thus, the question is not whether we're going to suffer, but why we suffer. Peter says, if you suffer for the name of Christ, for following Jesus, it is a good thing. The phrase name of Christ refers to association with Christ by lifestyle or profession of faith. If you receive insults, mockery, rejection, isolation for your association with Jesus, you are blessed. You are God's favored one, fortunate one, happy one, the Greek tells us. And this was a huge deal because in first century society, it was an honor-shame culture. So these Christians had been outcasted. Their social standing in the city was damaged for following Jesus. But Peter says that is not your true state. No, you are blessed by God. Your persecution is a sign of your blessedness. For it was Jesus himself who taught us in a sermon on the mount, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And why are you blessed? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Your suffering is a sign that the reputation of God is seen in you. The presence of Jesus is upon you. When you receive insults and hostility for your Christian faith, it's because people can see Jesus in you. He shines through you. You've been marked by the Lord. You've got the name of Christ. And when you suffer for his name, you are blessed by God. However, Peter gives us a warning. He says, if you suffer for Christ, you're blessed. But let none of you suffer as an evildoer because you are not blessed. Do not suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or one who meddles in everyone else's business. That is, that is not good. And not only does that go against what God has called us to, but if you suffer for wickedness, then you, you kind of deserve it. Peter told us in chapter 2, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? And this is key, because as we prayed earlier, right now you and I have brothers and sisters across the globe who are suffering real deal persecution for their commitment to Jesus. And some of you may know these people. 
And while our culture is increasing in its hostility towards the Christian faith, there are a number of Christians in America today who are crying out persecution, though it is not for their following Jesus. No, some Christians are actually rude, mean, unloving, and wonder why they're hated by the world. It's because I'm following Christ. No, it is not. It is for you not living Christ-like. Peter says, do not engage in society as that person. Do not suffer as an evildoer. However, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him or her not be ashamed, but glorify God in that name. To glorify God is to, to wear the name of Jesus proudly. When people don't want to relate with you or be with you for your Christian values, do not be ashamed, but praise the Lord. You are a child of God. You're God's elect. You are known, seen, and loved by the creator of the universe. He knows your name. So live to extol, to magnify his name. Peter tells us to never be ashamed of being Christians, but rather to hold our heads up high, glorifying God. But isn't it ironic that of all the apostles who could have written to us not to be ashamed of the name of Christ, it's Peter. What is Peter known for on the night of Jesus' arrest? Go there with me. It's a it's a dark night. Jesus has just finished praying earnestly in the Garden of Gethsemane, and here's the chief priests and the servants coming to arrest him. After being betrayed and seized, each of the disciples flee from Jesus, but not Peter. No, Peter follows at a distance. He's in the courtyard and warming his hands over a charcoal fire. Peter is recognized by a high school servant girl who declares, This man was also with Jesus. I do not know him, Peter says. Moments later, the girl's father runs up. Yes, you also are one of his disciples. Man, I am not. An hour later, a third person comes up. Certainly this man was also with Jesus, for he too was a Galilean. But three times before the rooster crows, Peter denies Jesus, ashamed of being associated with with Christ, ashamed of being known in public as a Christian. But what happens between Peter's denial and this very letter? Well, John 21 tells us of Peter's restoration. Despite Peter's huge failure, Jesus loves Peter. Not only does he forgive Peter, but Jesus restores Peter, ordaining him as a leader in the early church. Out of the abundant mercy of Jesus, Peter is brought back into fellowship with Jesus. And now Peter is on the other side of his restoration, telling you and I, do not be ashamed of your glorious Lord, the one who loves you and came from heaven to earth to go to the cross for you. You serve a Jesus who is both great and he's gracious. He's the King of Kings. And the Lord of lords, he is full of mercy, majesty, goodness, and satisfaction. And you may struggle to be a witness for Christ at your school, your workplace, your friend group, maybe even your own family. But Peter is an example that God can give you the grace 
to never be ashamed of Christ. Only love can put a woman in a place where she is willing to suffer in delivering a baby. Thus, only love will enable you and me to suffer for Christ. But the good news is, it won't be our ability to love Christ, but his ability to love you and me. Peter says, if you're going to suffer, let it be for your commitment to Jesus. Hebrews 11 Moses considered even the reproach of Christ of greater worth than the pleasures of Egypt. We who suffer for righteousness are truly blessed in God, but, but the question still remains, why do we have to suffer? Well, Peter moves on to tell us about the occasion of suffering for Christians. He explains in verse 17, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? As much as the New Testament explains, friends, we're, we're in the last days. God's judgment is near. All people will one day stand before him and give account to him of their life. Peter explains that God's judgment has begun with Christians, with the household of God. This suffering is to purify the church, to cleanse the church of sin and impurity, prepare, preparing us for the final day of salvation. And this shouldn't frighten us because when Christ returns, when, when God judges the world, those who have placed their faith in Christ will be saved and the unrighteous will be condemned. But if Christians suffer now and we've obeyed the gospel, how much worse for neighbors, friends, and spouses who do not obey the gospel? If we think our suffering is bad, what about those who reject God? They're going to experience eternal suffering. And Peter backs up his argument by quoting Proverbs 11, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Church, those who have failed to accept the gospel will be excluded from fellowship with God for eternity. And, and if we don't persevere in Christ now, that, that is not good either. So then, how should we live in the meantime? What should be your response and my response to the fact that we are in the last days and Christian suffering is upon us? Well, Peter finishes by calling us in the midst of suffering to give ourselves over to a good God while we do good. Verse 19, Peter exhorts, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their lives to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter's desire is that in our time here on earth, we continue to do good. Those who suffer according to God's will are Christians who suffer for the faith and whose lives God is working out his plan. We are to trust God by continuing to do the good he has called us to do. This includes obeying those in authority over us, following Jesus' commands, loving our neighbors, and ultimately loving God. But while we do good, we are to keep the faith in the midst of suffering, and we do it by giving ourselves over to God for safekeeping. Peter says, let those of you who suffer entrust your soul to a faithful creator. And trust means to hand over something of value to the care of another, to trust someone with the care or protection of another. 
And this word is in the, the present tense, meaning it's a continual action, a daily entrusting of oneself. And who are we to entrust ourselves to? Well, we only entrust things we care about to people who are faithful. We only entrust our kiddos to be babysat by those who are trustworthy. When we go out of town, we only entrust our pets, our houses, our cars to someone who is faithful. And Peter says that in the midst of suffering, in a world that is confusing, troubling, and exhausting, entrust your life to God who will be faithful to carry you through. Entrust your life to God who keeps his promises and will be faithful to save you. Isaiah 41, he says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not. I am the one who helps you. To my students, friends, entrust your school year to God. Place your trust in him to, to guard you, to guide you, to provide for you. He sticks very close to you. Parents, entrust your children to God. I know this world can be scary and you may not always be able to keep your eye on them. They may, may not always be under your roof. But give them over to the God who never sleeps, the God who will never leave them nor forsake them. After all, he is their creator. He put the hairs on their heads and the taste buds on their tongues. He had a plan and purpose for them before they were born. They are precious in his sight, and since God created your kids, surely he can take care of your kids. There is no place they can go where he is not already there. Employees, and entrust your careers to God. Make the decision to, to love God, to not be ashamed of his name, but trust that God has you. He is a faithful creator. This is, this is the God in whom you and I are to rest. Noah was mocked for building the ark, but God was faithful to save him from the flood. Moses chose to be mistreated with the Hebrews instead of enjoying the pleasures of Egypt, but God remained faithful to him. Joseph was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery by his own brothers, but God showed him faithfulness. Rahab wasn't even an Israelite, but God was faithful to protect her. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den for his faith, but God was faithful to deliver him. But even greater than all of them was another one who, who suffered, one who entrusted himself to God from beginning to the end. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly one who cried out with a loud voice on the cross father into your hands i commit my spirit into your hands i entrust my life and his name is the lord jesus christ may you and i be a church who follow in the footsteps of jesus saying god into your hands i commit my spirit I entrust myself to you. I entrust my family to you. I trust that you will carry me to the finish line, that you will save me on the last day. You are a good father, a faithful creator. May we not grow weary in doing good, but continue to entrust ourselves to God while doing good. And as I close... This morning, Peter teaches, teaches us there is purpose in Christian suffering because of Jesus Christ who suffered for us. We are loved by God, 
united to Christ, and will be saved by our faithful God. Why should you embrace suffering that may come as a result of your faith? We should rejoice in suffering for Christ because suffering is a sign that we belong to Christ, that we are united to Christ and share in his sufferings. For Oswald Chambers wrote, to choose to suffer means that there is something wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy Christian ever chooses suffering. No, he, he chooses God's will as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. Amen? Dear God, I thank you for blessing us with another day. I ask that you would carry us in our sufferings and that we might glorify you um, in the sufferings of this life. Jesus, I ask that you would uh, remind us how you suffered for us, and one day uh, we will be with you where there will be no more suffering, but perfection and peace and your love. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.